FM, WKCR, WKCR WKCR.org. This is Jazz Alternatives. My name is Mitch Goldman, and you are in the right place at the right time tonight. Got an episode of Deep Focus. I love doing these shows anyway. I, I, I haven't had one that was a stinker yet, I don't think. I don't think. I don't know. Maybe you disagree. I don't know. But uh, I love doing these shows, and I don't think I've ever been more excited about one coming up than tonight's show. The musician, the topic, is the great Elvin Jones, one of the architects of this music. And my guest tonight, I'm so happy to say, welcome back to William Hooker. William. Elvin. <laughs> Elvin. <laughs> Mitch, thank you for inviting me. Oh, man. This is... Uh... Especially about this topic. Yes. Yes, I I have to say if I'll give you my frame of reference to the listeners, this is I am in the company and you are in the uh, broadcast company of one of the great improvisers, one of the great thinkers and expressors through rhythm, William Hooker, and William, uh, it would I would have guessed that Elvin would be somebody you draw inspiration from. But to actually, I'm very excited about getting the opportunity to explore that with you. And we've got some, I mean, I mean, I mean. We went deep into the KCR archives, and we've got some real gems, some really rare, rare, truly rare recordings. Incredible stuff. Incredible stuff. I don't know what to tell you. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really humbled. I'm really humbled about, about Elvin. And to be able to listen to the music I listen to and to, and to hear um, and to talk about it with you. Because um, what can one say? If you're a drummer. I hope, I hope you got something to say. Yeah, uh, we, if we got you're, three hours if, ahead if, of us. Yeah, if you're a drummer, <laughs> if you're a drummer, I mean, there's so much to say. And it's not only about music with Elvin. It's not only about music. Because um, just recently, maybe about three weeks ago, I went into Maxwell's Drum Shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know where that is, right? Tell the folks. It's it's just around the corner from Forty Eighth Street, and it's like you go up to third up to the third floor, Forty Eighth and Seventh, uh, I believe. Mm-hmm. And you go up to the third floor, and um, I went up there to get some things to to uh, you know brushes and whatnot. Uh, speaking about Elvin and, and not only Elvin's power, but Elvin's brushwork, that's another whole other, a whole other uh, issue. And um, 
they had Elvin's set. Wow. wow. It was like it's like it's like I went in there and I saw, you know, I, I saw this like yellowish set. Yeah. And it was just set up like a like a it was just like a museum artifact. And on the side it said Elvin Jones Jazz Machine and and I just went in and I just I just put my hand on it. I just touched it. And I gotta say, uh, for me, for me, that was that was an experience. That was an experience for me. Um, what, I what I recall, yeah. I always remember being surprised. Yeah, it, I expected it to be like a monster truck size kit, and he didn't play that big a kit. It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't at all. It was just like one other thing was added. One other thing was added, which was a floor tom, and that was it. And I was, you know, I was thinking like that. I was thinking like that. These people that power is not in how much yes. you have. Yes. And that's when you really have to deal with uh, drive and the entire um, the entire feeling about how a drummer flows with the music, with whoever they're playing with. And how important that is to have that rapport. How, how important it is to have that trust. Like, like um, you're with someone and you're going to just you could just go off the ledge, and the person will catch you, and that and 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 that person can go off the ledge, and you can catch them. But intrinsically, you just know, you just know where one is. You know where one is, mm, mm. and um, and you just keep asserting yourself in that oneness. And I don't know. We'll, we got we to gotta discuss that because that's what he did. Yeah. He did that every time he sat down. And <clears throat> it's just really an incredible, it's an incredible uh, uh, auditory and visual spe- uh, spectacle. Yes. Have you seen a different drummer? Oh, yeah, a million years ago. All right. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. That's another one. I'm telling you, this really, this is an interesting show. This is an interesting show. Yeah. What about, oh, well, my, I, I'm, I'm, this is at the fringe of my memory. I hadn't thought about this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a movie, I think, in the early 70s, and Elvin has a showdown, like, in a Western with, like, a, a, you know, a, a gunman. And Elvin's playing the drums. <laughs> I can't remember. I, I, this is a lot. This I, is I remember not the seeing Ginger this a Baker years thing. Ago. No, 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 no. This oh. was like in the middle of the night. I saw this on TV when no, I was a kid. I didn't kid. see that one. Oh, I didn't I see that one. I, gotta, I didn't see that one. Take a, look, <laughs> take a look on IMDb if you're listening to this, if you're near a computer, and I'm, and you'll say, what is he talking about? And you'll see, you're like, That's oh, a different thing for me. That's a different yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, That's, yeah. I, don't, I, I don't understand that one. But I don't either. I saw it, and I don't understand it. He's wearing like a... Like a metallic vest, but yeah, then there's the Ginger Baker stuff too. Oh well, you know I, that. Well, I didn't really. I I just really concentrated on Elvin. Yes, and 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 uh, he's just the person for me that just never died. He never died. He's alive in me. He's alive. He's alive, and it's just so. You know, as a, as a percussionist and as a person that's trying to understand the flow, the flow we have going on, Elvin was Elvin was El, Elvin was that flow. Is it overstating his contribution to say that he was the first drummer that freed freed the drummer from playing the downbeat? I would, you know, that's I would go there. I would go there. Um, he did that for me. 
he really made me realize that I could I could go out and um and, and I could I could uh, investigate not only um, what it takes to be able to do fills, but I could investigate how to break up the rhythm underneath and on top of whoever I'm playing with and still be able to, not within that framework of, of one, two, three, four, but that framework of the music and how much, how much one realizes that once you get involved in the, in the torrent of it, when you get involved in the, um, the onward tsunami rush of it, um, that you could stay out there as long as you want. Um, that's the way I, that's, that's what I got from it. That's what I got from it. And, and I knew that each time he extended it, he extended it, he extended it in different ways, but that flow was always there. And as, as common as that word is, that swing, mm. that swing was always, it was just so prominent in that, in that symbol work. Because, and, and it was just really, really clear. And not just muddled up and just, it was clear. And it was, it was just so um, visibly, mentally for me, it was just visible. It was visible. It was not only it was not only an auditory experience I was having, and I and that and and I could see, I could see in my mind when that stick was hitting that symbol, when it was hitting it, and I could see, I could see like the, um, his picking up on that snare drum. I could see that, and and uh, that's why I. There aren't that many people that have done that to me. Mm. You are listening to WKCR. I'm Mitch Goldman program's deep focus william hooker i'm happy to say is my guest william is playing the knitting factory wednesday night we're going to talk about that a little bit more okay. later in the program okay. um we're talking a bit about elvin jones and right. we're getting ready to play some fantastically rare recordings um that uh that we're both very excited about yeah uh we're i i like this setting the table talking about elvin and and another thought that comes to mind another adjective uh mentioned swing and and that pulse um great physicality you know he had uh i had lots of opportunities as you did to see him playing live and right there was a uh kind of this monstrous physical onslaught that he brought the sense and um, do you know what do you, do you do you know what I'm talking about? Do you would you? Do I know you what you're talking about. However, I I know what you're talking. Well, let's let yeah, that's in the body, you see. But for me, that physicality came from the soul. Mm-hmm. Mm. It wasn't the fact that you know he went and worked out and had muscles and like just went in and like picked up pianos and stuff. He had he had a physicality for me because the drums are very the drums is a very physical instrument I, I you know really um, myself as anybody as anybody knows I mean I have to really to maximize my performance whenever I play I usually sleep at least 
45 minutes to an hour before I perform. Because I really need that. I really need that clarity. And I need that, um, I need that, that ammunition. You know, uh, not, we won't even call it ammunition. I need that gas. Gas in the tank. I'll put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It, and because um, you don't want to, you don't want to let that down physically. Especially when um, you're playing with, you're playing with other uh, improvisers that, and, and in his case, I mean, he had with him, he, I mean, geez. I'm just drawn to, I'm just drawn to a couple of records that I heard, and one of them was that trio record called, well, it may have been a trio record. It was called Genesis. You might not know about it, but that's, that's the one that really kicked my butt. I mean, because the group was the group was set up, and it had like Gene Perla in it, and it had I forgot who who else was in it, but but the point is, uh, the way the pieces were set up, uh, when I heard when I heard it, I knew that he was getting ready to f- from one tune to another to change the statement. But to change the statement, you had to have a you had to have power. You had to. You could not like half step. You just couldn't do it. Especially since you looked on the front of the record and you see the leader, Elvin Jones, standing there with this thing around his neck. I'm like, this dude is just this dude is serious. He ain't oh, yeah. playing no games. Right. So so I I'm just I'm just waiting. And and yes, we all know, you know, we all know that he entrained that he entrained and McCoy Tyner and Jimmy Garrison, they burned. But there was something I think that was not that 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 was an internal physicality. Back to that. That he brought to the music, I think probably before he even met them. You know, he was yeah. he was um he was he was a monster. He was like he he and his brothers, they were like scary. Yeah. They yeah. were scary. Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, but he was you know, there was I think there was a reason he was the one that became the drummer. Why? And well, I just mean that like, you know, Hank had a kind of reserve about him as a powerful as a musician as he was. And But they say Hank was the wild one. Is that right? Oh, they said. That's what I heard. Not by the, by the <laughs> no, time I met him, maybe. Right. You know, that okay. ship had sailed. No, no, I don't, I don't know. know. Right. Maybe the ship had sailed. You're right. But, but yeah. no, you know what I mean? I like that that thing that we're talking about. Um, Physicality? Yeah. I uh, I saw that in Elvin in a way I didn't see it in those two guys. All right. No, I, I, I got you. And I I would agree. I, I would definitely would agree. And, and I'm just saying that that entire... That entire um, but you were, no, but they visual. Did that, they were, that Detroit, that that kind of. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, thank was... you. And, and, and um, I'm just saying that it comes from it comes from the internal spirit of his being. That's where it comes from, and the sweat and the smoke. In the in the cinders, in the in the the rhythm, in the right on the one, 
that's just that we just have to match the spirit with what that is in the music and then you have the being that is elvin you have the being that is elvin you know so i don't know if that's to say that a person i'm just i'm just saying that a person has to not only think about the physical portion of the of the human especially in elvin's case he was he was he was a big guy but what was coming out of him was it was really about the flow of of like history a flow of that tree and for me it was it was a very freeing enabling flow you know it was like it was um, there's a power to it you know and um it's just it's just beautiful it's just really beautiful i mean there's no other way for me to describe it i i find the ways to describe it i'm getting a sense of well, again tell me if this is not the right word yeah a kind of awe that he still commands for you that's that's why i started off by saying i'm very humbled in even speaking about him because I mean, I I really I really like studied this guy. I really was looking. I wasn't studying. I was just, what is this? This is like some real stuff. This is like some authentic stuff. And it's not like it's not just you know, chopping up the beat like a rocker or you know, a, a person with a big, big fifteen drum set thing. This dude was just burning. I'm like, oh man, you know, and 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 he would, you know, and he would turn the beat around, bring it back, turn it around, bring it back, and and but he was also very very astute, astute about being a very intelligent accompanist. He respected who he played with. Oh yeah. He respected these dudes. He to respected the, point, the music. Yes, 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 yes. And also, I think he. To respect means you have, in my in my sense, it means you have to listen. You have to listen for what where you what the person is saying, the the uh, the entire paragraph. You want to hear that. You want to hear that as it relates to the song, as it relates to, as it relates to. Um, the keys as it relates to the changes. And he was playing those changes. That's another thing that I find so beautiful. And in 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 my sense, it's it's a, it's definitely a sense of awe because I see people playing rhythm, but I don't see them playing colors. I see them playing rhythm, but they're not playing colors. Yeah. And if you listen to any song, like for example, if you listen to um if you listen to Effendi. Okay. Elvin's on that. Or you listen to um, Oriental Flower. Elvin's on that. And you listen to these pieces, and you see that these pieces are not only melodically beautiful because of they're written perhaps by McCoy, but Elvin provided that, that, um, that fire that beauty gives you. Beauty isn't just... This no, it's. It, I mean, in my in my world, in my world, in some people's world, it is. <laughs> okay. In some people's world, it is. But in the in the in the in the William world, beauty beauty is 
beauty is those changes and those those beautiful um, note relationships. And he was listening to those things. He was listening to a, the other person that had that quality to express that on their instrument as well as him being able to enable that and bring it up and out into the music. And that's something that I don't... That Yes, I am in awe. I am in awe because that's very difficult to do. Usually you get it through. Usually you get it through a hardcore experience by playing a lot of music and also understanding music deeply. You know, um, and, and I think a lot of people that were of that generation, they really understood the music they were playing. You know, and and, and Which was, I... Which saying a lot thinking about the how new this was the fact that they were creating something a new chapter in the that moment with Coltrane in particular obviously. right right yeah. and that's the reason why that also that's that for me that for me makes him one of the prime people that changed this music well i yeah. hope we have whetted your appetite for hearing what this is we're talking about and maybe you've heard this music but maybe you're going to hear it in a new way. I think I'm going to hear it in a new way, having heard William Hooker talking about Elvin Jones. I'm, I'm excited about this. And I am too. Yeah, and what an unbelievable document this is. Would you get it? That, that, <laughs> that's the first thing I asked, do you remember? It's the, the KCR archives, you know, the station's been around 70 years. There's stuff in there that just unfathomable. <laughs> And I'm trying to unearth it and shine a little light here and there. Right. This, even the the hardcore Coltrane fans, a favorite album of, well, everybody that <laughs> I'm not alone in this, live at Birdland. Yeah. Birdland, which uh, the building's still there. The club that we know as Birdland is actually unrelated to the club Birdland from 50s, 60s. Right. And... Uh, Okay. Birdland, where that was named for Charlie Parker, where Coltrane played, that was what is now Flash Dancers, strip joint on Broadway. That was Birdland. So the space is still there. The physical space is still there. Okay, on Broadway, right? Yeah. Between 53rd and 52nd. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah. Then. Oh, all right, good. Right in the neighborhood. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you and I know. You're right. So um, Coltrane made this album live at Birdland, one of his, one of the foundation landmarks of his recording history with the classic quartet uh, uh quintet actually i think right was uh no 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 uh eric dolphy's on some other dates from these sessions but not on the one that we're going to hear tonight but mccoy tyner piano jimmy garrison on the bass elvin jones the subject of our yeah. conversation tonight playing drums uh -huh. coltrane playing soprano and tenor saxophones and monster album but 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 but, actually, interesting thing. Yeah. Most of that album was not recorded at Birdland that night, and most of it is not actually. It's actually from the studio. Little known fact. It's actually from the studio? Yes. So there are a couple of tracks that are live. You mean the, the recording itself? The album All right. has some live tracks and some studio tracks. Okay. All and right. distinctions All right. not necessarily made too clearly. But that, that's also yeah. something that's known to, you know, yes. hardcore Coltrane fans. But the whole show was recorded. In fact, I think couple of sets and what we're going to hear now is from that same night stuff that was not put out on the album so we're going right, to hear right. well we'll start we'll see how much of this we get through but uh why don't we st you want to pick a 
Should we start with training in? That's the first yeah. track. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, so this cool. is training in. So this is from that same night. The night was October 8th, 1963 at Birdland. It's uh, John Coltrane is your leader and saxophonist. McCoy Tyner piano, Jimmy Garrison on the bass, and the subject of tonight's conversation with William Hooker, Elvin Jones. Playing the drums from the WKCR archives. This is John Coltrane.
The radio station is WKCR. Uh, <laughs> I, I got to find my head and put it back on my shoulders here for a second. I'm Mitch Goldman. Uh, the program is deep focused. Yeah. Our guest tonight is, I'm thrilled to say, William Hooker. And Very we are deep. exploring some live recordings of Elvin, Elvin Jones. Like that one, which was, <laughs> where yeah, I, was like, yeah, like a giggly kid here. That's uh, if you missed the introduction. That's from the night that Coltrane live at Birdland was recorded. It was one of the tracks that, for some reason, and William and I have a few ideas about possibly why that didn't make the album. But oh my goodness, training in, and uh, I kind of feel like uh, you know, next time a space alien or an elementary school kid or a classical music lover or a rock and roller somebody asks you what 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 is this music all about just play that for them and they'll go oh they'll say that oh i remember that it's like uh oh that record is that record is up there with purple haze oh (laughs) i remember that yeah there's oh that's like that's kind of like right of spring in a way. Oh, yeah. Kind of, yeah. That's great stuff. <laughs> that's what. That's probably what they'll say. Yes. Wow. But 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 Mitch, um, uh, first of all, separate from the thing, I just really hope that a lot of people are um, that are that are true lovers of this music. Uh, I, I hope that they're really listening. Uh, to to that period of time again that's 1963 yeah which is this is this is a stunning document it really is and, and the was, way i was the way i was given it it was like a little bit like not that out right you and i have to say it's been a while since i listened to that birdland album but i don't remember anything quite as uh, incendiary as this on that. <laughs> what does incendiary mean please uh, i like that literally, word literally <laughs> it means bursting into flames thank you Thank you. Yeah. Because I think that at that time, probably, um, <clears throat> I, cannot, I cannot think of another drummer that was playing that way. No. I cannot think that way at all. I mean, I mean, by yeah. 60. Uh, right. No, yeah. I, I, that's just like, that's, uh, no, that's not even within my, my realm of experience, 63, um, in hearing that. And I think that also the beauty that I heard um, when you first gave it to me and I put it on and I was listening to these little speakers I have in the house, right? And now hearing it through these speakers, I could hear, I could hear um, the, the, uh, the inside of the drum set a lot better because I was always fed this um this thought pattern which i can understand why but this thought pattern of the drummer was the accompanist to the saxophone player or the pianist and that ringing that i'm hearing live and that that torrent of of uh those waves that i'm hearing because of the sound of the cymbal Mm. Because, interesting, interesting enough, um, the drum sets that were that were in those days um, that many musicians played. He played a, he played Gretsch, didn't he? 
Yeah. 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 But they but the but the way they were made is it, it didn't have that clean sound. Right. We're used to now you hear like uh Yamaha drums or something that have kind of like a studio sort of cleanliness about Even if them. you hear it live. Yeah. It, it didn't have that sound. Yeah. This is this is a sound this is a sound that I I'm really well acquainted with. I mean seriously. That's the sound I like. That's the kind of a drum set I have. Yeah. And I've had it since a kid. Yeah. And and, um, and that's what I take with me. But but then when I go to different places, I could hear that well because of Coltrane's group etc cetera, etc. Cetera, um I could hear that this type of drum set is what was necessary for that music. Hmm. Those cymbals that kept that ring going so that even when McCoy wasn't playing and then when uh, Garrison dropped out, you could hear a wash and you could hear like a foundation in that music that, that, was, that just set up that that set up a feeling so that he could he could look at John Coltrane and he could say he didn't even have to look at him he could just say here it is take it where you want because we're not gonna drown mm. we're not gonna drown mm-hmm. like it's like an ocean you know and then and then uh, uh, I'm listening to I'm listening to the inside um, which is the the um, small Tom. And the floor, Tom. Now, what, the, uh, yeah, I'm just yeah. gonna let's yeah, back up for a second Go. because you're such a great student of this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. What, describe his instrument. Describe the kit that Elvin's playing here. Okay, um, hi hat, um, two two cymbals, ride and crash, snare drum, um, regular tom tom, floor tom tom, and bass drum. That's mm-hmm. it. Mm. Hmm. That's it. It's kind of the classic in a sense, right? It I mean, is a classic. Yeah. Traditional drum set. It's a classic traditional drum set. And did he play he played traditional the, the, Yes, he played the traditional way. I mean, yeah, even though I can understand how you could get more power if you were really, really like into power, you could get more power this way. But that's the way that's the way he played. And in and, and I think that in his playing that way, um, which I, which I was also uh, enamored with when I was listening, when I was when I still watch and listen him, listen to him, was the fact that he was kicking it from every direction possible, and he was like not fighting the music, but playing the music, and never really falling off of the throne, and I was like, man, this dude is like anchored, he's anchored, and and. That's a beautiful thing. I mean, it's almost like when you get in a plane and you're getting ready to take off, and when, and when the plane is starting to roll, you know what I'm talking about, mm-hmm, man? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, when that thing builds up and you feel it just getting ready to go off, <laughs> like you just sit there and you're just like that. And he was like that. He was in that seat yeah, all that time. And then... That throne. Yeah, all mm. that time. Yeah. And then, and then McCoy... It's such yeah, a beautiful it, situation. It's such. I, I don't mean to cut you off. I'm I, excited I, I, about this. It's, I am too, obviously. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> like two little kids, man. It, this is this is an archetypal band. I mean, this really. Thank I you. made that comment about uh, you know play this for your your elementary school kid or whatever. But this 
really just paints a picture of how a band can work. And it's such a great moment because these guys now, this band kind of gelled in the course of 1960. These guys have been playing together for literally for years. Very popular group. Very, very popular group. They certainly played a lot bigger houses than this little kind of basement on uh, you know, Broadway in the theater district. So they're in a small place, and yeah. um, but their foundation is so strong. The communication among them, I think that's really the hallmark of any, any great band in any genre, but especially in this kind of music. And the way that the energy moves through this band, and we were listening, and we were talking to each other while the music was playing, and, you know, is, is Coltrane kind of pulling Elvin into this, uh, this also, that, that track was so perfect because it starts out in a very straightforward kind of groove with the, the trio, mm-hmm. McCoy on piano, mm-hmm. Jimmy Garrison on bass, Elvin on drums in this very kind of rigid equilateral triangle. Then Coltrane comes in and then it starts to loosen up and open up and McCoy drops out, Jimmy Garrison drops out. And it's just Coltrane and Elvin going at it. Right. And then it comes back together at the end. Yes. And they're, the dynamic, maybe because we're talking about Elvin, I'm so focused on go what on, he's go doing. Go on, though. I'm listening. Well, you. just. Uh, what are you thinking? He, it's, you know, they, each of them brings their own thing to this in a, in a very vibrant way. But just the, the way the drive is coming from the drums is just so immediate. And. Uh, and the way that when Elvin frees up the beat without losing the one, and Coltrane at that same instant just kind of also harmonically takes the song apart, and it's just just thrilling to hear it unfold. You know, <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't know where I'm going with this, man. I'm just well, like, well, well, the, I'm in rapture. <laughs> well, let me, let me put let me put a little bit of a please, little bit of let me, let me put a layer on top of that. Yeah. Now, what? It's interesting because, for me, it's not really about it's not really about the individuals themselves. Mm. As a drummer, I know, I know in my heart, what Elvin is playing. That's what a drummer is supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> You're like not nobody supposed- had done it before he. <laughs> you know, he right, right. It's not. It's not like you know. It, it's not like you're, you. You know, this is your role, and that's your role, and mm-hmm. that's your role, and that's your role. For me, mm-hmm. where I'm coming from, you know, I know that that is the that. Yeah, I'm supposed to push these dudes, and I'm supposed to be pushed. But what is pushing me, and what is pushing them, is. Uh, the spirit, mm. mm-hmm. and I, in in regardless of whatever whatever plank we choose to jump off into the water, in the the plank being the tune. I hope I'm not gonna. I hope that I'm not gonna lose. What, no, I'm just I'm yeah, just gonna yeah, go yeah, there. Yeah, please. All right, now the plank is the tune. Mm. So, if you think of any tune, corny as it may be, or out as it may be. When it's time to jump off, it's almost as if the drummer knows that for me to really squeeze the juice out of this tune, I'm going to have to keep that right hand going, and I'm going to have to punctuate 
what I have to say in terms of the way this the way this train is going down the tracks, and I'm gonna have to punctuate with either my um, my snares, my snare, and what I notice what I notice with this that I didn't notice with um, with this that that I also have come to notice later from Elvin, there is more rim shot later. I don't know why. I can't figure that part mm. out because I've really been thinking about that. That's one thing I really got to say. As a thief, <laughs> I stole that from Elvin. I love that. I love it when you're playing with somebody and you slam, you give them that rim shot, and it's like all of a sudden, like you, you yourself wake up. It's like, it's like Zen. You fall asleep, take that stick. Hit that person in the back. Person, oh no! Isn't it's that, like <laughs> as a drummer, I always yes. think of that yes. as a blues thing. Those rim shots. Rim shots? The, yeah. No, well, no, uh, uh-uh, not to me. Like, yeah. um, I mean, not, be, not that it's rim not that shots. It doesn't have a place in other. No, music, give me, but give, that's me kind of like a, give me an example. Give me an example. Who you talking man, I'm about? Try, I'm trying to think, but just as a kind of, uh, you know, that. Um, yeah, that like stick on the on the rim of the yeah. snare. And, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't. I, that's just that's something like I feel think, it. I think of it as like the de- that big bang pop. downbeat. Yeah, the pop. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, now, now, all right. So a lot of times I used to hear that from like um, um, uh, Tito Puente sure, and uh, sure. you know like uh, the, that kind of music out of out of Timbali. Tambali yeah, well, yeah, situation, yeah, 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 and then, yeah, and sure. but that, but I knew that I knew that that was a very effective thing. That was very effective, because um, if you're as you're a drummer, you're learning, you're learning to play like rim shots, and you're learning to play rolls and stuff like that. But you don't learn, you don't learn, or they don't let you do this because it's just what you do that they're just gonna say, look, you could go sit down. <laughs> you're just acting wild. You, like you'll be playing, right? You'll be playing, and all of a sudden, if you give them that pop, that it's like it's like a little bit scary. Mm, mm. It's a little bit scary. But for a person like Train, that wasn't scary. Yeah, you could tell. Yeah, you could tell, and that was one of Elvin's tools that 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 left hand had for him. Also, like I was telling you, showing you that sweep. Yeah. Um, in this particular in this particular um piece. Which I really love, and I really try to, I you know. I won't say I stole I stole that either. I'll say that that's a natural thing that comes to a person when they hear the transition from snare to tom tom to floor tom, mm-hmm. and that's one thing that Elvin does in this particular piece, over and over and over and over again. As as a transitionary, as a transitionary situation, and he doesn't necessarily always come out on the one, or he doesn't always resolve it, which is a lot of things that a lot of musicians think that they have to do, and 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 that that showed me that obviously he's listening to Train, but but he's also realizing that he doesn't have to be the one that resolves it by bashing it. He doesn't mm-hmm. have to do that. You know, yeah. that's that's a very sophisticated way of playing. Mm. Because if you really think about a lot of drummers, mm. they always do it. Right. What is that? <laughs> we gotta do that for. We know that. We know that's what's supposed to happen. Now, right. when you don't do it, then it gets mysterious. Uh-huh. Right? Then it gets mysterious, right, right. especially if you're playing with a person like Train. And Train is like, Train is 
Shane is doing his own exercises over there. And, and so, you know, and that's... Well, nobody that's, had to explain that to Elvin. No, yeah. And there was nobody to explain that to Elvin. Well, well, he just said, he just said, you know something? This, this drive that we have, this is what's going to keep it. This is what's going to keep it. Because mm-hmm. all these other embellishments, they've been said so many times. And th- that this that you're referring to, that's, that's the ride symbol, right? Yes. That, yes. Okay. And, it's so, and after a while, it's not only just a stinging motion or a clear motion. It's a wave. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's a wave. It's, a, it's like a, kind of like a horizon line. In a way. No, think, no, no. It's right. like no. If you no, <laughs> okay. I say wait. Not a horizon okay. line. Wait, wait a minute, but, Mitch. Yeah. Mitch yeah, yeah. Let's say you're looking at the sunset, right? Mm-hmm. Now, when the sun is coming up, when that sun hits, the light is not just in that one little area. Right. The right. light is like all over here. Yes. And train could just do whatever, mm. and then you have the you have the um, the freedom if you're playing with a person like that. Which is a very, very beautiful thing to have, that camaraderie, that trust. You know, it, it like like if I'm gonna say to you, okay, then here's a blue jay, or no, better still, here's a cardinal, boom, right? And here's it, that cardinal just flew over here, boom, right? And and this dude is just still train is still up there, but you're yeah. you're you're really like painting, you're really painting a picture. That um, the colors you add to the picture are as important as the colors I add to the picture mm-hmm. for the whole picture. Mm-hmm. That's the way I see it. You are listening to WKCR FM New York. This program, heard each weeknight from wow. 6 to 9 p.m., is called Jazz Alternatives. But tonight we're presenting an edition of this program we call Deep Focus. Yeah. I'm Mitch Goldman. My guest tonight is drummer, band leader, impresario, William Hooker. Well, sometimes, at least. Sometimes. Impresario. Yes. Among other uh, educator, many other uh, titles you bear. And uh, William Hooker is playing this Wednesday night, day after tomorrow night, at the Knitting Factory in Brooklyn. And um, we are exploring the music of Elvin Jones. And this is a thrill. Elvin. Oh, man, we've got some archival recordings of Elvin with John Coltrane that you've quite likely never heard. Uh, Outside of the hands of a few collectors, maybe some of this stuff is circulated, but not much. And uh, some stuff of him as a leader. So this is, uh, it's a great night to be listening to the radio. Oh, telling me. Are you kidding? This is serious business. Can I change the subject for a moment? Absolutely. And ask you to tell us a little bit about this gig you're doing on Wednesday? Oh, okay. Um, first of all, it's called Grooves. And um, the thing that I find really beautiful about it is the fact that the people at the Knitting Factory um, allowed me to use the space to do this. And, and it's not just a presentation of a band after band after band. It's like... Um, It's an evening where I have 18 musicians and um, they are divided up into groups of four. And there's two others. One is a rapper who is the MC. And um, they, they come from all different disciplines. They're all really excellent, excellent improvisers and musicians in their own right. 
and they come from different type, different genres as well. And I put these groups together in the form of events. Mm-hmm. There's four events. And um, the only thing that I've asked them to do, and I know that they're going to do it well, is to perform together and to use 40 minutes or so to create a, a, a work of art. And uh, behind that, we'll have um, visuals. Mm-hmm. And uh, in between, we'll have the work of this rapper who is a very conscious rapper, mm-hmm. not just, you know, person. Mm-hmm. And of the, a person, I mean, every person is important, but I mean, not just a person that's dealing with um, rap as a superficial um uh, way of making statements. He's serious about what he's doing, mm. um, and and some of the people that are going to be that I asked, um, they all come to me with a certain level of experience and a certain level of expertise. And just quickly, I'll tell you because um, I had to I had to reprint this thing, and I have Ravish Moman, mm-hmm. I have Tom Hamilton. He deals with electronics. Ravish deals with uh, drums and percussion. Mm-hmm. I have Gary Height. Mm, sure. Mm-hmm. You know Gary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, right. not personally, but... Yeah. Right. And Gary's now... I, I think he's dealing with not only music, but he's writing plays and stuff. Too. Wow. I have Larry Rowland, mm-hmm. bassist. Mm-hmm. Um, Zach Layton. Zach Layton's also guitar and electronics. Mm-hmm. Tom Labinger, uh, who's out at the school, the uh-huh. bassist. Uh, Michael Atias. Uh-huh, sure. Our neighbor. Yes. Right? <laughs> uh, Michael is an alto player. And Andrew Lamb. Mm-hmm. Tenor. Yeah. And um, tenor and, I think, soprano. Then I've got um, another person that uh, sparked an interest in another kind of an instrument to, for me, is which was David Watson. Mm-hmm. Um, are you acquainted with David Watson? No. David Watson plays bagpipes. Wow. Cool. <laughs> There's only one other person that I know that played bagpipes. Rufus Harley. Oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's the second one. Very good. Oh, yes. Excellent. Excellent, Mitch. Excellent. You got you. Mitch Goldman is nice. Yes. I was thinking of uh, Ferris Anders. Sure, sure. We did that. But yeah. thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Mitch. Mm-hmm. Um, Got to keep you honest. <laughs> David First. Mm-hmm. David First is um, uh, he 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 has a he he deals with guitar, he deals with electronics, he deals with synthesizers, a lot of different ways of looking at music that David does. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt Lavelle, great. Uh, David Soldier. Oh yeah, um, who deals with mandolin, guitar, mm-hmm. violin. Mm-hmm. And Mike Nordzi, who is also a bassist, mm-hmm. and myself. And we have, in between, interspersed in between all that, we have the rapper and MC Acoustic. Cool. And it's, um, you can tell people when it is. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, the Knitting Factory. So this is Wednesday night. Yep. And uh, this Wednesday, 8 o'clock show. And uh, the Knitting, Knitting Factory, if you haven't been, if you haven't been to Knitting Factory in Brooklyn, it's... Uh, 361 Metropolitan Avenue. Yep. And I'm going to give you the phone number, too. You can call them. You can you can buy tickets. Uh, I believe it's 
It's Knitting Factory. Actually, it's bk.knittingfactory.com. Okay. And uh, you can buy tickets online and all that good stuff. And the phone number out there is 347-529-6696. Grab a, what? You don't have a pen? Go grab a pen. I'm going to say some of this other stuff. I'll give you the number again in a sec. Okay, but um, so this, this this Wednesday night, William Hooker, and you didn't tell us too much about what you are going to be doing, which I'm going to ask you after I say the phone number one time is okay. 347-529-6696. At the Knitting Factory, Brooklyn, three sixty one Metropolitan Avenue, and uh, and you're uh, where am I coming from? Where in this situation? you come in on this? Yeah, I'm, I, have, I have two questions actually, but that's the first one. Oh, oh no, really? Yeah. Okay. Um, I've been seeing, I've been seeing myself not only as a drummer, but a person that provides a certain direction in terms of the music and in terms of the situations I set up for myself anyway. And that direction comes comes in a lot of different ways. Uh, it comes in the ability it comes in, in it comes in the desire to fulfill the need in the music for a bridge between whoever is either soloing or playing or the tune itself and the musicians or, or a poet or a dancer, uh, bringing that person into the total picture, being able to use various film um, to give people an auditory, I mean a visual experience as well as an auditory experience, being able to use um, architecture in a way so that people can see a work of art that is not just based totally on music, even though music is the, the core element of it, but give them an experience so that, also, I'm very selfish, give myself the experience mm. of feeling as free as I possibly can be in a situation mm. and using the space as much as I can. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's, that's kind of important. I think me. you answered my second question too then, which was going to be what, qualities you look for in these people this very interesting aggregation of musicians but i think you may have already answered that people who can create that environment yeah and also people people that are serious about art yeah now here we are playing this music yes just this little club one more night a tuesday night or whatever it was in a nightclub out in 50 years ago coming up on not quite but almost 50 Years ago, right. and you and I are cackling like little schoolgirls over this unbelievable music. You're cackling like I'm girl. cackling. You you have a little more. You're a bit more demure. I'm more you're like a, little, a bear. You, <laughs> my point is this. My point is this. My point is. Go, go, bitch. This could be that night. This Wednesday could be that night that 50 years from now, people are talking about, my goodness gracious. If somebody called up the phone right now here at WKCR and said, you know, I was there. At Birdland that night, wow. I would be, I'd be kind of like I'd, I'd want to floored. Yeah, I'd want to touch the hem of their coat just to say yeah. that I had done that. Yeah, someone who sat in the audience for that. Yeah, and this Wednesday night could be that night. Is my point? My point is you, my dear sweet listener, who put up with all the things you endure, particularly being a New Yorker. If you're a local broadcast listener or wherever you might be on yes. this planet. We, we go through a lot to get through a day, and these are not easy times to be 
making choices for ourselves out here, you owe it to yourself to have drink some of the sweetness that this life brings you. Right. And so I invite you, implore you to, doesn't have to be this Wednesday, but it could be. It could be. But you should do this for yourself sometime very soon. Get out and be with this music. Breathe with this music. And breathe with diversity as well. Mm, yeah. Because I think that I think that many people define jazz, which is no longer a dirty word, mm. but they do it does by implication um, define itself a certain way in the mental in the mental plane. And what I am saying is that, and what a lot of other people are saying in living, really, is the fact that those days have long passed. Yeah. yeah. Long passed. I mean, and, and to actually be able to realize that if we, can, if we can get past some of these economic situations we have to deal with, which it's, it's just terrible what's going on, um, and we can experience the diversity and the camaraderie mm. and the intelligence that some of these people bring to these situations. Yeah. That in itself is just something that I just like to be around. Yeah. You know, I just like to be around intelligent people. I mean, it's just fun. <laughs> yeah. You know what else, too? <laughs> thinking about this, thinking about the way that Elvin Jones in these recordings yeah. changed something there was like this tectonic shift happening in the world in 1963 and it's almost like elvin's drums are yes. like driving the plates apart and letting this world start to breathe in a new way just from the pure power of soul and spirit and rhythm and i don't know if anybody could have put their finger on it that day that this is you know that where this thing what's going to come out of this but by the same token i think that music and art that that's one of what one of the things that we hope to look for from it and you've got to inform your life with these things i mean that's a I, great I think point. about my work that i do completely unrelated to music and uh -huh. I, I draw inspiration from you and from all this music i a, hope so you know a way to think about the world a way to think about what i do and you know taking this whatever it is that's in me shining it up and you know letting it go and out in the world, this is this is goes right to the core of why I think we're here. And the beauty, the beauty, the beauty also is the fact that getting back to Elvin again. Yes, please. Is is the fact I'm, that no, 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 no. I'm with you. I'm with you. The 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 thing that's interesting to me is that 1963. We're talking about this basement between like 52nd and 53rd basement club, right? Mm. And this dude has this drum set, and he's downstairs, and he is, like, smoking this drum set, <laughs> literally, like, ridiculously. Mm. And, and it's welcome. Yeah. It's welcome. It's, it, it, that in itself lets me know that civilization was beginning to wake up to another another shift. Mm. Civilization was realizing just because of Elvin's way of performing on the drum set that there is this this um straight straight uh adherence 
more to the hi-hat than to than to what was going on with the right hand and what's going on inside with the with the tom tom and the floor tom and 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 kicking it with the kicking it with the with the bass drum obviously, but all of all of me configuring re I won't say me he configuring and then reconfiguring all these things inside of the music with train and then sticking it into this little basement and these people are like i don't know what i don't know what's going on in 1963 mm. but that's that's very advanced oh yeah that's very advanced and it's also very gutsy yeah cuz i have heard stories i have heard stories that in those days when these dudes were coming up playing playing some music they were like actually accosted yeah and 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 the way he was playing, it, it's it's with a certain fury. That's I can't think of a can't think of a different word. Yeah. And and whether it's physically furious or it's like like just in terms of the torrent of the sound mm. and like people letting him do that or no, maybe they didn't let him do it. Him saying, "I'm gonna do this. Yes. yes. <laughs> I'm gonna do this. <laughs> yeah. This is what I do." William Hooker is at the Knitting Factory in Brooklyn Wednesday night at 8 o'clock, and you should be part of it. You really should. And I'll, there's a last thing I'm going to say about this, that uh, this is a mere simulacrum we are presenting on this radio station of experiencing this music. The really, the really the way to, to live it and be it is to be in the room when it's happening and give something to it because you're really part of the show. If you, this is about. There's a big part of what this show is about: active listening, engaged listening, and I, I bring you here, William, for these deep focus shows and the and the guests who sit in that chair yes. to show how far you can go as a listener, not even as a musician, as a listener. What it means to be a participating, active listener. I was thinking that I, you're you're reading like we're getting on another level here because <laughs> because I was thinking that I was thinking that. As Elvin was playing, obviously, it doesn't sound the way this tape sounds, and it doesn't sound the way it's coming through these speakers, but you could tell that there was a certain aliveness about what, and there was a certain spirit. Because I go out and I listen, no, I, well, I won't talk about now, I'll talk about then, when I first heard it. I knew Elvin Jones was opening something up that was not only about jazz and not only about the tunes they were playing or how they were playing them and the the expertise with which they did it. He was playing from a spiritual place that even when I read books like uh, Face of the Spirit Mm. or I read books all about what has happened during that period of time, Elvin was touching something and had throughout throughout his life he was just the voice for that branch of the tree that spoke to openness and spoke to freedom it spoke to power it spoke to uh, a certain intrinsic not intrinsic that's not the right word the a certain inherent knowledge of the rhythm the rhythm that the rhythm of life that certain people just walk they walk that walk and that's what I that's what appealed to me that's what appealed to me. And um, I don't know, he just he just was the first person to really open that up for me and to show me how that can be done. 
and I, 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 I'm, I'm in awe, as you said. I'm in awe. I'm humbled let's by go, it. Let's go into deeper, greater awe, shall let's, we? Let's, yes. <laughs> uh, another track from October 8th, 1963, The Night We Know, as the night that created the album, uh-huh. Live at Birdland. Yes. Uh, next track, Mr. PC. Yes. Yes. All right, then. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Let's hear it. Oh, I'm ready. This I'm is ready. WKCR <laughs> going into the archives. This is not on any album. You won't find this anywhere but here on these airwaves. Isn't that remarkable? You will hear that piece of music, but you're going to have to flip over to part two of this podcast. It's from 2013, January 13th, William Hooker. Fantastic drummer on the topic of Elvin Jones. And if you you heard William talking about some quote-unquote upcoming gigs, they were upcoming in 2013. They're not upcoming as you listen to this now, but I bet you William's got some other fantastic things he's doing. He's a New Yorker, but uh, his music is heard worldwide. He tours all over the world, and you can find his albums and his recordings and his video projects and all that. Take a look. You'll be richly rewarded. And uh, go ahead. I'll see you over at part two. It's Deep Focus. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman.